0: Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Let's pray together and we'll dive into the passage. Father, we come to you because we desperately need you. And as our Lord taught us to pray, we pray, God, that your kingdom would come to us today and your will be done in our lives. We pray that you would give us today our daily bread our needs we pray that you would forgive us of our sins as we learn to be forgiving and merciful to others and we pray that you would protect us from the evil that is so prevalent sometimes in this world and we pray all of this in Jesus name amen so we are in Matthew chapter 1 And in Matthew chapter one, we have an astounding beginning, not only to the gospel of Matthew, but to the entire New Testament. Now, if you were going to write a book, whether it be a novel or whether it be nonfiction, would you start your book with a genealogy? No, you have this very hooky story, this nail biter, and then, and then, and then, and look out, and and then you think, now I'm hooked, and now I'm going to read the rest of it. But Matthew starts out with the genealogy. And I want to uh, forewarn you that we're not going to study every single person and every single verse in the genealogy because there's three times 14 names that we would have to study and learn and, and read their biographies. So what I'd rather do is ask the question, first of all, Why a genealogy, for heaven's sakes? Why would you start with a genealogy? And the answer is Matthew wants you to know that Jesus is legit. It's through the genealogy that we know that Jesus is the legit Messiah. In our culture, Because we are so individualized, we don't even think that way. We're starting to come around where we're interested in our DNA, we're interested in Ancestry.com and 23andMe and all of these kind of things. We want to know where we came from, but it's usually not for legitimacy. We're just kind of curious. We are at the end of 400 years of the pendulum in man's history of swinging towards individualism and we are on the far end of the swing, where all we care about usually is me. And what I do is what I eat, where I go, what I watch is just what I want to do. And that is a very foreign part of the history of humankind. The history of humankind, up until the age of reason, Descartes, who penned, I think, therefore I am. That was the beginning of individualism. And it was, the box was opened and you cannot shut the box anymore. Pandora's box was open. And so we're of individualistic society. The enlightenment was at its high point when our nation was born. So our nation is all about individualism and individual freedom. Consequently, the cohesiveness that our nation needs is often not there. The we-ness, the, the fact that we are Americans and we do this together and so forth, it, it's often this patch quilt that's barely seemingly surviving. But that hasn't been the history of humankind. Humankind always needed to know, where do I come from? What tribe do I belong to? How do I know you are who you are? And whose father are you? Whose, whose mother Do you come from what city and so forth? And particularly if you're the Messiah, right? You can't just walk on water and heal people and tell us you're the son of God. We wanna know where you came from. We need to know your badge of legitimacy. And so that's what Matthew is doing for us here. And he uses the exact language of Genesis. In Genesis 2, 4, In Genesis 5-1, in the Greek version of the the Old Testament, Genesis, it uses this identical phrase, the record of the genealogy. So it's this, this big crescendo of introduction that Matthew is beginning with. Very similar to John when he starts his gospel and says, in the beginning was the word dramatic right to let you know the legitimacy of jesus the the word of god or mark when he says the beginning of the gospel that word beginning is this word genesis and so matthew is using this big language he's writing to a jewish audience and he wants us to know that Jesus is legit. Then he gives us the formal names. These, it's not just Jesus of Nazareth, which, which would be just a, a local title. He uses the name Jesus, and I won't unpack that for you now because I'm gonna do that for you two weeks from now when he's given the name Jesus, right? But for now, he's called Jesus the Messiah. And you see that word Messiah up here. I'm kind of like the fact that the New NIV uses the word Messiah, even though the Greek word here is Christos. The, you know, Matthew is written in Greek, not in Hebrew, but Messiah or Mashiach is Hebrew, and it, and it stands for the Anointed One. So when Jesus is called The Christ, the Christos, or he's called Hamashiach, the Messiah. It both both of them mean the anointed one. Kind of like the crown prince, the one who God has anointed with his spirit. And what has he been anointed to do? He's been anointed to be the son of David. Who was David? David was the great king. David was the great king who ruled with righteousness and justice. He was the consummate king. And in in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel 7, he's promised that he is going to have a son, an offspring. Turns out it's not Solomon, it's not the next king, it's not the next king. But there is a descendant of David coming. And Jesus, as you know in the Gospels, he's called the son of David, and that's letting us know he's the crown prince, he is the anointed one that comes to rule with justice. Justice is an interesting concept, particularly in our society, because we want justice for all. It's, it's in our pre- pledge of allegiance, it's, it's what we want, but we often know that justice, even if you're a jurist, we know that justice is always imperfect, because humans are involved, I get you what you want, but i I take away from them to get you what you want and now they they feel like injustice has been served, so then I give to you what you need, but now someone else feels like they haven't and and it starts with your kids, right? It's not fair. You gave them a taco and you didn't give me a taco and and you know you finally get to the point like I did where I said. Have you been to planet fairness? (laughs) What gave you this idea that it's always fair? In this world, it's not fair. We strive for fair. We strive for justice. But you have not been to planet justice. But Jesus, the Messiah, comes to bring justice to this planet, which is a big idea, which means that As you know, he came the first time to die for our sins, but he comes the second time to finally bring justice to this planet, and it'll be perfect justice. Can you imagine a judge where it's always perfect? It's right. It's filled with love. It's filled with truth. It's filled with faithfulness. That's what the son of David comes to bring. Then he's also called the son of Abraham. And that's significant because Abraham represents two different groups of people. One, he is the first Jew. Remember, he came from Iraq. He's from Ur of the Chaldees. And he migrates over to the land of Canaan. And he is called to be the representative of this new nation. So you might say he's a Gentile who becomes the first Jew. But God makes the promise to him that it's going to be out of his seed, out of his offspring, that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And Paul picks up on this in, in the book of Romans and says that we are the offspring, we are the sons of Abraham. So it's not just Jews that are the sons of Abraham, Gentiles also we're the sons of Abraham. So in this very first verse, we find out that this is all about the legitimacy of Jesus to represent us as the crown prince. Wow. In in this title. I want to tell you a story of something that happened to me yesterday, and I don't think my wife even knows this, but while I was preparing my sermon, you know, it doesn't all come together to, for me until right at the last minute, too much to the mad, uh, madness of our staff that, that would love for me to send them my sermon notes on Monday. <laughs> so they were texting me at 4.15 yesterday. Service doesn't start till 5, so I had plenty of time. But what happened was my cousin called me at three o'clock as I'm preparing a sermon on the genealogy of Jesus, right? And the phone rings and say, "Hey, Mark, I've been doing some study on our genealogy." Now, you know, I, is this a coincidence or a God incident? I don't know. You can decide. But I just think, really? And he says, "You remember how I told you that maybe we had an ancestor that came over on the Mayflower, and you know, uh, let me get his name right. You guys from history should know this. Somebody named uh, Winslow. Yes, yeah, significant, right?" He said, "I think, wow, I think he's the first governor, you know." And so I, th- I thought, "Yeah." And he says, "Well, I found out that that was his brother." Edward, and and, uh, we're related to John Winslow. And he came over a year later in 1621. I said, we missed it. And he says, no, but listen to this. John Winslow ends up marrying the first woman to touch ground getting off of the Mayflower. She was a 13-year-old girl that he married four years later when she is 17. Her name was Mary Chilton. And so she is the first female to step ashore on the new world. And I apologize for anyone who's Native American. I wasn't there. <laughs> So we all interpret history differently, you know, and so that's not good news for Native Americans, but I just thought, wow, so we are maybe in that elite Mayflower Club, I've heard about it, you know, if if you know that, that you, you get invited to things and you're just this elite, elite, elite. And he says, yeah, but I'm still doing my research and I can't connect a couple of generations, I'll let you know. And I said, so we're not legit? It says, it looks like we are. It, it, everything points to it. I said, but we're not legit. He says, yep, we're not legit. <laughs> we all want to be legit. Most of our legit is not around genealogies. Most of it is, is just sharing little snippets of our lives at, at, at uh, hors d'oeuvre. Parties and you're meeting someone. Say, "Oh, what do you do?" And as well, and we always share things that make us legit, right? We don't say, "Well, my dad was a horse thief," (laughs) and 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 my mom worked in the red light district, and so here I am. How about you? You know, no, we all say, "Well, you know, uh, you know, I do this and I do that." You know, I. As uh, Brian Regan says, you know, I ran my lunar rover on the moon, how about you? And, uh, and, And then they tell us, you know, that they've been doing these amazing things, right? So we always put, whether interviews or first acquaintances, we put our best foot forward. And the whole point is legitimacy. I want you to know I am legit. Resumes, everything is about legitimacy even driver's license, passports, are you legit? Matthew is letting us know Jesus is legit. And that's a question for you and I because when I was on my spiritual quest, uh, I didn't know whether Jesus was legit. I didn't know. Is he just a, a, a groovy guru? Like everyone tells me, is he just a good teacher? Like I've been told, is he just this guy that had wizardry uh, abilities to do different tricks? And and, and if if that's the case, he's not legit. He can't save me from my sins. He can't get me into heaven. He can't renew my life. He's just another amazing Heisman Trophy winner. But if he's legit... Then I have to take a step back and consider Am I preparing him room in my life? Am I ready to make this deal? Well, the next thing that he te- tells us is that he's prepared the format of this genealogy to be around 314s. I want you to jump down to verse 17. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, and he gives us two names that lead to the important third name, Messiah Abraham, David, and then Messiah. So he says, There were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and then 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now again, for a moderner who's individualistic, I don't understand why he's presenting this 14, 14, 14. But let me present to you from a Jewish mind, first century. He's letting us know by this number 14. Number 14 is the number seven twice. The number seven is the number of completion. So he's letting us know that this guy completes the fulfillment of history in first chronicles if you study chapter 1 in first chronicles and the genealogy in first chronicles through chapters 1 to chapter 3 you'll find out that the first section the first 14 is identical to first chronicles the second 14 is identical to first chronicles except he leaves out 3 kings there's a lot of other bad kings he could have left out, but he leaves out three, and it's possible because of a curse that was placed on those three to the third and fourth generation. We don't know exactly why. That's the only surmised reason. But then the, the last three, I mean the, the last third, the last 14, we have no record of that in the Bible. So where did he get it? Get it. It's surmised that he got that from the temple in Jerusalem. The temple, did you know, in Jerusalem kept everybody's ancestry. Ancestry.com, right there in Jerusalem. And it was kept until 70 AD when the temple was destroyed by the Romans. So it's very likely Matthew did his homework and gathered up all the data. But it's also very likely that both. Uh, Joseph and Mary knew their ancestry. So he's giving us 14, 14, 14 to let us know Jesus. It leads to saying that the fulfillment of everything we've waited for comes in Jesus. At a minimum, Matthew is telling us that history is now fulfilled. Salvation history, starting with Abraham, is now fulfilled in Jesus. At a maximum, he may be telling us more. And I've given that to you in your notes if he's using some kind of sacred arithmetic because the name David, the numerical value of the name David in Hebrew is 14. Kind of cool. The Jews didn't have, they were possibly the first People group to develop an alphabet, not not using cuneiform, not using characters, but actual letters like we use an alphabet. But they didn't have an Arabic uh, uh, number system like we do today. So how did they count? They used letters. the The letter D is in Hebrew is is valued at four. The vav, the letter V, is valued uh, at six. And then the second D is again four, coming to 14. Kind of cool. And finally, he may be telling us, some of you have read Daniel chapter nine, about the 70 weeks that Jeremiah prophesies, and Daniel discovers this, um, that from from the exile to the time of the Messiahs to be 70 weeks. Well, if you take a generation to be 35 years approximately and you multiply that by 14, that comes out to 490 years. Uh, and he's telling us this is the fulfillment of history. Wow. For such a time as this, As Colossians says, that at the right time, God sent his son. Now, here's something unique, and this is, again, something that we lack as moderners. The Jews were the first ones to develop an idea of history that was linear. Did you know? Linear, pointing to a fulfillment in time that we're just not on the ship of history going nowhere, just on a cruise ship going nowhere. We actually have a destination. Most people don't have a destination. Most companies, most countries don't have a destination. United States of America has no destination. It's one of our problems. We don't know where we're going, and we have all different ideas of what uh, America is in our own minds. Some people think, We ultimately want to spread democracy around the world. Some people think we ultimately want to spread economic prosperity around the world. Some think we ultimately, and some people think we just want to have a good time. And I don't want my good time to be destroyed by your good time. So we're just on the good ship America. And most countries are like that. But can you imagine a country that actually had a destination? So you say to Israel, why do you exist? Because one day the Messiah is coming and there'll be justice on the earth. How cool is that? That one day the Messiah is going to come and Matthew is telling us we have reached port. (laughs) We have arrived at the destination of Israel and the destination for all people that the Messiah has now come. Wow! I was watching the Heisman Trophy uh, presentation yesterday. Very frustrating, I might add, because you know when you click record, which I did, because so, it was going to go on while I was at church last night. It doesn't always line up with the show. You just—it's it's an hour-long show, and you say record, and if it goes over five minutes, you miss the ending. So I saw everything but who got it. <laughs> ah! So I have to go online to see who won, and you know these three great quarterbacks of all time, and, and any one of them can win it. But my point is, they're not just playing football. Congratulations to Oklahoma. Yeah, I just saw an Oklahoma fan there. Um, They're not not just playing football, there's a destination. I want to win, and not just the Heisman, I want to win the national championship, the pros. I want the Super Bowl, and not just the Super Bowl. In my career, I want a ring. To say, I busted my neck, my knees, my hips, my head, (laughs) and I'm gonna die young for this ring. So let me pause and ask you where are you headed? It's a great question. I'm just cruising. No port. Just every day, just want to have a good time. That's interesting. It doesn't bother you. There's a 100% chance, last I checked statistics, that you will die. 100%. And where does this go to? Do I get to just make up my own religion, whatever I decide in my own mind, that's imposed on God? Or is there a destination? The final thing I wanna look at, and I think the most important thing for us this morning, is why the women in this genealogy? And the answer is inclusion. Let me just read to you a few verses from the genealogy itself, beginning in verse two. Abraham was the father of Isaac, dot, 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 the father of Jacob, dot, 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 the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, they were twins, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, the father of Ram, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of King David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. That is, she she had been his mother, but she had been married to someone else, Uriah. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. And the Greek is making it clear that was born is is feminine related to Mary. So she was born of Mary, not Joseph, who is called Christ. Here's my question. Every single child born in in this genealogy, 14 times three, had a mother. Do we agree on that? Okay. Okay. If we, if we don't agree on that one, I might as well stop. <laughs> Everyone had a mother. So why only four, if you include Mary, five women mentioned as mothers in this genealogy? Why not all of them? And so as an interpreter of the word, that is supposed to jump out at you and say, this is important. Anytime you see an anomaly in scripture, rather than just throwing the Bible down, just say, ask why, God's got big shoulders. He can take your questions. And the question has to be asked, why these women, particularly in a male-dominated society where women's names were not included in the genealogies in 1 Chronicles or in the temple? So he's breaking cultural norms to include these women, and why these women, knowing that at least two, if not four, were Gentiles, not Jews, and why, when there were other women he could have mentioned that would have given prestige to Jesus' Uh, birth, he was the son of Rachel, the son of Sarah, the son of Rebecca and Leah. What, what, why not those names? Why names that had a bit of controversy about their story? In fact, all four women had some controversy about the birth of their child. And Matthew goes out of his way, having established legitimacy, having established fulfillment, he goes out of his way to include these women in the genealogy. And there's no other answer but inclusion. He's letting us know that Jesus now is is at the end of a line that has a lot of sordid stories. And if you come from a past that's a bit sordid, you are included in Jesus. If you are Jewish or Gentile, male or female, perfect church person or horse thief, you are welcome at Jesus' table as a repenting sinner who comes to Jesus. And it's right there in the beginning verses of this uh, first book of the New Testament. There was a prayer that the Jews would pray, and you'll be offended by this. Everyone will be offended by this, but I'll read it anyway. And this was the prayer that men would pray. God, I thank you that I was not born a slave, that I was not born a woman, and I was not born a Gentile. Thank you, God. Wow. Can you imagine that being read on CNN? You know, we would all be offended, but that was the prayer. That was, so why, if he's writing to a Jewish audience, does he include these names? And yes, these women became great figures. They, they, There was a good ending to every one of these stories, but the intrigue, as you read the story, was not so great. So let's take them one at a time. Tamar. Tamar, we don't know if she was Gentile or Jewish, but the, the tradition is that she was a Gentile woman married to the son of Judah. Judah's son dies. And so the lineage has to be passed on. It was law that you had to carry on your brother's name. He has to have somehow his namesake live on. So he gives to Mar, Judah does, gives Tamar. Remember, there's no romantic falling in love uh, marriages in those days. It's, it's arranged marriages. And so Judah gives Tamar to his second son, and he eventually dies without an heir. And so Judah's thinking, you know, this woman is bad luck, and I only have one son left. So he holds his third son back from her, and she's thinking, hey, the law, the lineage law, says that you're supposed to give me to him, and you're not doing it. So this is where it gets sorted a bit. So Tamar dresses up as a prostitute, a temple prostitute, and she, so she's not only dressing up in a line of work we would not agree with, but with a religion we don't agree with, and she goes down the street and she hangs out where she knows Judah passes to do business, and he passes one day and sees her, and he goes into her. He says, Hey, I didn't plan on uh, this, so I don't have my wallet, I don't have any money. And, and he says, How about this staff? This will be a down payment. I'll come back tomorrow with my servant and get the staff. And this, this will, because the staff was valuable. It was like your tattoo that goes down your arm and down your leg. It, it, it has your signature of life on it, all the things that are important to you. In, on this, carved on the staff, his servant comes back the next day to retrieve the staff, and there's no woman there. So he asks some of the neighbors, and they say, "We don't know what you're talking about. There's no prostitute that lives in our neighborhood. This is a good neighborhood, you know." And the servant comes back and tells Judah, and Judah says, "Hey, leave it be. I can get a new staff. This is becoming an embarrassment. Uh, and, you know, I can't, you know, publish this on on uh, online or you know anything else. I, I got to just let this go." So a few months later, it's told to Judah that Tamar is pregnant. She's not married. And Judah thinks, hot diggity dog, because the law says, pregnancy, out of wedlock, she's to be stoned to death. And so they bring her in front of the whole family And Tamar says, by the way, I'm pregnant by the man who owns his staff. (laughs) And the whole family knows this staff and the servants. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of people looking at this staff. And Judah says, she's more righteous than me. She cannot be stoned. And she bears twins, one who becomes the lineage of the Messiah, Now, I ask you, why do you want that in the front page of the New York Times? Why do you want this? You didn't have to include this. There has to be a reason. And the reason is inclusion. Not only is Judah's, uh, Tamar's story, not only does that taint the Messiah line seemingly, but Judah, even more so. And there it is in the lineage. In the words of Dumb and Dumber, I'm telling you, there's a chance for you. (laughs) second woman, Rahab. Rahab, similar line of work, only she did it long-term for a living. It wasn't just a one-night stand. She was a prostitute, and she practiced that as her business, and her home was in the wall of Jericho. But she has this, what would be called, modern language, a conversion. She believes in these people that have come over the Jordan River. She believes that the God of Israel is with them, and she wants to side with them. So when the spies come to her, she hides them. She lies to the king of Jericho, says, I don't have any spies. I don't know where they were. I think they went that away. And, uh, and they reward her by saying, you know, when we come back, Tie a red cord around your window and hang it out, and we'll know that's your house. <coughs> Excuse me. Wow, so many blessings. <laughs> and that's, that's the story, and she's saved, which is just an amazing story in and of itself. It's amazing conversion story. I always like to say, tie the red cord around your soul. Have you tied it? The red blood of Jesus Christ, have you tied that around your soul? So then she becomes the mother or the grandmother of Boaz, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David, the king of Israel. Wow! Probably on your first interview, you do not want to tell the boss that part of your story. But Matthew includes it to say, there's room for you at the table. The third story is Ruth. And Ruth doesn't have any sordid moral issues. In fact, she's just really an honorable woman. Her only thing is she's a Gentile. She's from out of town. She's not Jewish. She marries into Naomi's family. Her husband dies, who is Jewish. Naomi says, Go back to Moab, here in Moab, and marry someone else. And Ruth says, No, I'm going to stand with you, Naomi, as my my mother in law slash mother. My mother used to say, There's no mother in laws in the kingdom, only mother in loves, because we're not under the law. (laughs) It's cute, huh? So she stays with her mother-in-law and quotes this great line that you've heard at weddings, where you go, I will go, Uh, your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Beautiful, beautiful decision on her part, which is enough of a good story. But then Naomi wants to pair her up with Boaz. Boaz is an older rancher, but he's in the family, and it's again the law of lineage. And Boaz has no successor. And he's related to Naomi. And so Naomi advises Ruth. At the night of the harvest party, their harvest party was a little different. When, when all the harvest was brought in, they would have a big party and there was a lot of drinking. And Boaz lays down among the hay and, and, and the harvest. And Naomi advises Ruth, go in, ask him to put his blanket over you, careful now, and and say, be my kinsman redeemer. Redeem me, and let me carry on your seed. Whoa. And Boaz is honored and flattered that a younger woman, a righteous woman, though she's Gentile, would pursue him. And And he says, lay at my feet until morning, then go back before it's daylight so nobody gossips about this night, because we didn't do anything, but they could question it. And then tomorrow, I won't rest until I make you my wife. And that's the story. Great story! But there's a lot of great stories in the Bible why this one that has a little Shady part at the night and she's a Gentile. The fourth woman, we can't even mention her name apparently by Matthew, she's called Uriah's wife. Are you still there? Okay, good, I'm there. Uriah's wife, and why not just name her as the name Bathsheba? By the way, with all the names that we choose today, we always have to have a unique name to name our children. I've noticed that no one uses Bathsheba. (laughs) So there's reasons. Well, Bathsheba in the story actually did nothing wrong. In fact, she would actually be a victim of a workplace uh, sexual uh, issue here where David uses his power as a king, summons her, seduces her, and she becomes pregnant. David finds out about the pregnancy, and he says, "Uh uh-oh, we gotta do something, and he does the worst thing possible. He decides to have Uriah murdered. Now, we don't know Bathsheba technically was a Gentile, but we assume so because Uriah, the Hittite, was a Gentile, and he has Uriah killed. The front lines, he gives the commander the secret message. When you're at the front lines in the heat of battle, order your troops to withdraw where Uriah doesn't get the order. And he's left out there in the open and is killed. David thinks that he's covered it all up. Um, Marries Bathsheba. The child dies. Very, very sad. And then she conceives again and the child's name is Solomon, and becomes a part of the lineage of the Messiah. Oy vey. why are we including all these sordid tales in to describe Jesus' legitimacy? The only answer, because they're all embroiled in intrigue and controversy and all had controversial pregnancies. And the only answer is inclusion. Because Jesus is this down-to-earth Jesus in his human lineage. In his human lineage, yes, he's perfect. Yes, he's divine. In his divine lineage. you, You may even say 23 chromosomes from God and 23 chromosomes from Mary. I don't know if that's the way it goes down, but in my mind, that's how I think of it, that he came from the same past you came from. He has the good and the bad and the ugly in his genealogy and is telling you that this Messiah will not just be a Messiah for Jews, but for Gentiles, not just for males, but for females, and not just for righteous people, but for sinners. Wow. So in the thought of me preparing him room in my heart, he has actually prepared room for you. And you see, this is the, this is the difficulty of any religious audience. Because once, if, if I'm preaching on the streets, we don't think of ourselves as good and righteous and everything. But once we're a religious audience, we kind of think of like, well... I haven't been that bad and I have I always go to hear Mark's sermons and I'm you know, I read my Bible mostly and I'm I'm kind of this good person and this, this, this. So we forget that we go through the door as a sinner, not a saint. As my dad used to always remind me and my mom that if you're not a sinner, Christ didn't die for you. So, what's your past? What have you done? What have you not done that you should have done? Who have you not been that you could have been? I know you're amazing. And if we're at a cocktail party, you're going to tell me all the amazing parts of you. But Jesus already knows the shadow side of you. And if you, if you don't have anything, now you're probably the worst of sinners because you're sitting there with pride. God, I thank you. I'm not like the rest of these sinners. <laughs> there is only one door into Jesus' uh, fellowship of table. It's a very low door. It's a humble door. It's a door of admission that I'm broken, I'm needy, I need a savior, and here's my stuff There's a verse in Revelation that you often hear quoted to non-Christians, but it's actually written to Christians, did you know? Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any person opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me, which is a sign of acceptance and, and forgiveness and fellowship. Have you ever wondered how he got outside and he's writing the letter to Christians? That Jesus is on the outside wanting to get back in to fellowship with Christians. It's because we begin to think we're just so amazing, we're so wonderful. We forget the door of humility and the door that I'm a sinner saved by grace. Let me tell you a story before I close here of something that happened to me. So when I became a Christian, uh, I was 18, December 21st. 2 a.m. in the morning, I surrender my heart to God, whoever you are. And that starts my journey of discovering Jesus. He's the son of God. He died for my sins. And it's a wonderful journey. But a year later, I decide to get alone in my room and celebrate my first birthday as a Christian. And something happened to me. You see, when I, I gave my heart to Christ first time around, I, I got up, walked down the hallway and woke up my mom because I was afraid I would, I would not, this would not have sticking power in the morning. So I woke up my mom, brought her back to my bedroom and I said, Mom, you know, I know you're proud of me but I haven't always lived the way you think I lived. And I began to tell her, The darker sides of me and we cried together and she says well um you know you've always been a good person you know i i think god can use your goodness now and you've always been a great athlete and maybe god is going to use your athletic skills and you've been this musician and maybe god's going to use your music and do you hear what's happening it's it's kind of like you're so amazing maybe god's really glad you're on his team now that you know if i were god i would have chosen you too you know and we do that all the time you know god would do so much better if paul mccartney would become a christian god needs him uh, god, god would be so amazing if madonna would become a christian you know and we did, we do that kind of thing that that, that god's going to use our best foot forward but on my first birthday a year later I'd been reading the Gospels how Jesus was with this sinner, Jesus was with this prostitute, that Jesus was with this tax collector, Jesus was with this Gentile. And I started down this road in my prayer saying, thank you for saving me from my sin. And the Holy Spirit began to bring to my mind not the trophies in my life, but the darker sides of my heart, and especially pride. And I just began to weep. My first birthday was (laughs) a night of tears, but they were joyful tears, realizing that he loved me in spite of me. Let me say that again. He loved me in spite of me, not because of me. And my life changed. And I began to see other people differently. And as I read the New Testament, I began to see that this is Jesus everywhere. This is, who, this is the Jesus of this genealogy. That he's the Jesus that says to proud Nicodemus, you gotta be born again, buddy. I know you have all these Sunday school pins, and you haven't missed church one Sunday, but you need to start over, how humbling. It's the Jesus that's criticized by the Pharisees because he's having lunch with sinners. It's the Jesus who says to the woman caught in adultery "Then neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. That's the Jesus who's made room for you at Christmas. There's a story that most people don't know and rarely read, it's found in Mark seven, where this Gentile woman in southern Lebanon, in Tyre, Jesus has retreated. I think he's tired of the Pharisees. They've just criticized him one more time because he doesn't make sure the disciples always wash their hands before they eat. And I think Jesus is just yowzers, you know. Uh, I gotta get away, so he, with withdraws some 20 to 35 miles into the region of Tyre. And the text implies that he just gets into this house that he rents to get alone. But there's a woman who recognized him. And she comes knocking at the door. And he opens the door and she says, sir, rabbi, my daughter is sick because of a demon." in her body, and she needs to be set free. And Jesus, thinking, oh boy, here we go again. And he says, you know what? My primary ministry right now is for the Israelites. I've just come over here for a little retreat. And he uses these offensive words to us. It's not to that culture, but to us it would be. He says in this colloquialism, it's not right to take the children's bread and to give it to the dogs. And for us, it's like, what? You call the person, the Jews called Gentiles, the nickname was dogs. They were unclean, they didn't follow the law, they didn't uh, keep themselves pure. The woman has a choice right now. Do I humble myself and go through the sinner door or do I throw my shoulders back and say, I have my rights, I'm taking you to court. And uh, of course, that's not going to happen in those days. She replies to Jesus and she says, yes, but even the dogs lick up the crumbs that fall off the children's table. And Jesus is broken by her humility and her admission of sin and her need for a savior. And he says, go, your daughter is healed. <laughs> what a great story. It's a great question. Who are you today? Are you this person that's just like, wow, I think I'm a first stringer on Jesus' team. I am just, I'm just that amazing. Or are you someone that says, you know what? I'm just a dog living, licking up crumbs. I don't deserve to be around this Jesus. Or Peter, remember the verse I quoted last week where Peter sees the miracle of Jesus multiplying the fish and he falls on his knees before Jesus and says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. It's the door of a sinner discovering the love of the Savior. And I'm inviting all of us to enter through that door this Christmas because he's prepared room for you. There's room for you at the table. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this Christmas season that Jesus, you are the legit Messiah, that you are the fulfillment of all of salvation history. And that you're a down-to-earth Savior who was down-to-earth in your ministry, rubbing elbows with sinners, and then ultimately died on the cross for our sin. And so, Messiah, we thank you that you are the great one, that you are the Savior of the world, and the Savior of my soul, in our souls. This morning, while we're praying, while our heads are bowed, I'd like to create a moment where we can redecide our decision for Jesus. We don't often do this, where we actually redecide the decision. You may be a person here today that has never committed your life to Jesus. You just somehow are here alone or with a friend. Today's the day. Give your heart to him. You may be someone that maybe made this decision when you were young, and now you've lived your own life. You've gotten away from the fellowship of Jesus. And you're homesick to be with him again. Make today the day. Or maybe you're here as a very good person, maybe a good Christian, and you've forgotten the fact that you're a sinner saved by grace. You've forgotten to use the servant's door. You've forgotten what humility is all about before the great king. I want you to make this day your day. And so while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if today is the day where you want to make a decision to follow Jesus as a sinner saved by grace, I want you to raise your hand where you are. Don't worry about what other people are thinking. Don't worry about what I'm thinking. This is between you and God. Just It's a moment for you to tag heaven. Say, yeah, that's me. I see your hand back there. If you look up at me, you'll see me pointing to you. So you can, yes, way in the back. Yes, sir. God bless you and you. And you. Two two hands up in the in the alcove back there. God bless you over here, here to my left. Yes, I'm waving at you. God bless you. You can put your hand down. Yes, God bless you on the aisle over here. You way in the back. Thank you, sir. So many, yes, God bless you. So many great decisions. These are decisions that you're making before Jesus in heaven. God bless you, sir. Thank you. I see you in the back row there. Yes, God bless you. Love the eagerness in you. Thank you. This is, yes, God bless you. This is a decision that you are making before heaven and you and you back there and you, sir this Christmas that you are coming to the table that's set for sinners it's there we experience his forgiveness it's there that we discover this new life that he has for us of humility it's not the life of the Heisman it's the life of just following him and you become a part of his lineage that will read in heaven. And Jesus spiritually begat so and so, begat so and so. This lineage of people who were sinners made righteous because of the blood of Jesus. So, Lord, we prepare you room in our hearts this morning as you have prepared a table for us. If you raise your hand, pray this prayer quietly as I pray it out loud. Come into my life afresh. Don't stand outside knocking. Come in. Remodel. Rearrange. Cleanse and forgive my life. Have your way in me. thank you for the cross that saves me from my sin now Holy Spirit empower me refill me with the water the living water of heaven that I might serve you with power And help others, sinners, to know about this great loving Savior. And I pray this, Lord, in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and welcome those that gave their lives. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website. NorthcoastCalvary.org.